This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to encourage you uh, in these moments like this. How many believe that God does miracles? Do you believe it today? If you believe it, then expect it. And as you're expecting it and God does something in your life, would you be, be sure to tell us? We want to celebrate those moments with you, but we as a body want to celebrate those moments. You know, I go back to the days of testimonies, and we don't necessarily open it up to verbal testimonies that way, but we want to be able to testify of God's faithfulness. Amen? And, and God is good, right? Yeah, awesome, awesome. I want to thank you, be a, a person of gratitude, a people of gratitude, a staff of gratitude to our board and to our body. Thank you so much for your love uh, of your words, of appreciation on Pastor's Appreciation Day, Pastor Appreciation Month. You know, uh, we, uh, the staff got crumble cookies this morning. We've gotten cards. We've gotten words. Uh, we've gotten hugs. And I think most importantly to me is, is not the cookies. Don't know. Uh, that's Jesse. Pastor Jesse is most important. His love language is crumble cookies. So you want to speak love to him? Buy him cookies. Uh, but I will say my love language is words. So when your words to me, when, when your words of affirmation, your words of love, your words of appreciation, can I tell you, they make me sore. And I will climb, I will endeavor to climb over the moon for you uh, in doing that because that's really what I, that's what I'm doing, what I do. Um, how many know that everyone just needs to be, be appreciated from time to time, right? Can I tell you, thank you for who you are. I appreciate you for all the sacrifices of your faithfulness in giving, your faithfulness in serving. This church would not be what it is without who you are and what you do here. And uh, I could easily transition into an appeal to go, if you're not giving, give. And if you are not serving, serve, because we need you, right? Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful for you. Uh, remember that next Sunday, we'll Caesar, our guest speaker. He's going to be the Oregon Youth Convention OYC speaker. And uh, because Trenton is a personal friend, Allie and Trenton are personal friends with him, he is going to be coming and joining us on Sunday morning at both campuses. And he will challenge you. He is, he's on fire. And uh, you're going to love it. And so come and, and take partake of that. The Armed and Ready Seminar is around the corner. I just want to challenge you, don't miss it. I've already been in conversation with my brother. Uh, he's been doing many seminars. And uh, lives are being cha changed. Perspectives are being changed. And I think what I think sometimes what happens is that we go, well, I understand Ephesians 6. I understand the armor of God. But I want to come back and go, do you understand it enough that you're actually using it? Are you applying it to your life? And if, you don't, if you're not applying it, then you're not understanding it. And so I want to encourage you, this is an opportunity to, to set aside a day and to come and learn and to come and go, how does this fit my life? Especially in the culture that we're in right now, we desperately need to be arming ourselves up with the armor of God and especially with the sermon that, as the sermon series we're talking about, fight, and today especially. Everyone say fight. fight. Oh, come on, fight. fight. Turn to your neighbor and say Fight. fight. You know, as we are looking at this topic of fight, this is so important that we uh, realize the concept, what is behind this. It's time to fight. It's time to be aggressive in our behavior. And um, many of us come back to this mindset that, well, Christians are supposed to be peaceful, we're supposed to be calm, and all that sort of stuff. And there is areas that that needs to take place. But can I tell you that we are in a battle that's raging. 
Whether you recognize it or not, there is a battle. There is an enemy that is against you. That enemy is not flesh and blood, but that enemy is spirit and power. And we need to step in and go, we realize that there is a fight. There's a battle that's taking place. There's a battle that's raging. Uh, This idea of being aggressive that we talked about last week, being ready or likely to attack or to confront. I I think where I, as I prepare these sermons, I have to ask myself, am I being passive or am I being aggressive? I'm not talking about a passive aggressive that behind the scenes you're like taking shots at people, but am I being passive in what God's doing, being passive to the enemy, or am I standing in the authority and the power that God has given me to stand in? This idea of attacking and confronting, pursuing, being forceful, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm just going to read parts of it here. He says, but you, O man of God, flee from. Everyone say flee from. Paul goes previously in the uh, verses ahead, flee from controversy and conceit and quarrels and envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and corrupt minds. And I look across our culture today, and I see a lot where we need to be fleeing from some stuff. We've, we've been passive and we've accepted it and we've been partakers of it. And God, Paul is coming to Timothy and saying, don't partake, flee. Don't be passive, be aggressive. And he goes on and he says, these things, uh, per, uh, uh, flee from these things and pursue with intense effort this righteousness, this godliness, faith that we've been really uh, emphasizing, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Everyone say it. Fight the good fight of faith. Come on, one more time. Fight the good fight of faith. And then he ends this section of scripture and he says, oh, Timothy, Timothy, I appeal to you. Timothy, I want one of the greatest things for your life is this. Guard. Everyone say Guard. Guard what has been entrusted to you. What I want you to realize this morning that all of us in this room are partakers of someone that has invested in us. Someone who has poured life, poured scripture, poured faith into our lives. How many can identify someone in your life around this room? Everyone, right? Online, someone has poured something into you. Paul is coming and saying, Timothy, I have poured into you. Your mother has poured into you. Your grandmother has poured into you. These people have poured into you. Guard, guard it. Some of you may be going, I'm struggling, fighting, and I come back to you and say, you need to step up and you need to start guarding what's been entrusted to you. You need to guard it, guard it. Avoid irreverent and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of so-called knowledge, which, have, uh, which some have professed and th- thus have swerved away from the faith. Today, I don't know where you are at in your process of faith. I'm not just talking about a belief system in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about an assurance and a knowledge and an expectation of God. Have you swerved from that? Have the things of this planet, has the crisis of COVID, has the crisis of cancer in our life, has it caused you to swerve? Has it caused you to back down or has it brought on an intensity to go, I am going to stand and fight? The statement that we made last week was either you are fighting or you are losing. Either you are fighting or you are losing, and only you can determine that. I can tell you there's conversations that I have, and I'm going, uh, I'm going they're, they're losing. They're losing. Can I tell you, when you don't make it into this house, when we're able to get into this house, you're losing steps. You're losing ground. You need to be here. People need you to be here. Bible faith, as we talk about it, faith is this assurance that things revealed and promised in the Word of God are true. Do you believe the Word's true? If you believe it's true, are you living the Word of God? Have you embraced it? Have you digested it? Are you allowing it to flow out of your life? I love the concept of 
of Scripture, of this Bible faith. Human faith that says, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? I'll believe it when I see it. Can I tell you, in God's eyes, is believing is seeing. When you believe it, you see it. When you believe it, you know what's going to happen. You believe it, you may not see it physically, but you see it spiritually. And that's what we're talking about and addressing today. Today, the title of my sermon is Skin in the Game. Everyone say it. Turn to your neighbor say, Skin in the Game. Skin in the game, this idea of, of having a personal investment in. I don't know if you are a fan of movies or not, or even a particular series of movies, but I think of this idea of skin in the game, and immediately what comes to mind is the series of The Hunger Games. Anybody here watch The Hunger Games, whether you're in favor of or not in favor of The Hunger Games? The story, it's a sci-fi show uh, in the sense of not monsters and creatures, but a sci-fi future text, and it's this concept of the ruins of, of once North America um, that sometime in the future in the capital of the nation forces each of the 12 districts to submit someone between 12 and 18 to come and battle uh, and to put skin in the game. And what this has happened is this produces hunger games that they come in and they, uh, they televise this live event and you see these individuals who are battling for their life and killing one another to survive. They're, by, they're fighting for their lives. Can I tell you today, when we think about this story, there are three definite segments. There are those that are uh, from the city of Pan Am, the, of the overarching where the government is ruling, and they have no skin in the game. They're there for the event and they're for the entertainment. They're there to, they have no ownership in anybody unless someone's personality appeals to them. And then you have the district, and that district is concerned about their person that they've sent there. They want their district represented, but they don't just want their district represented. They want that person to come home alive. And when you think about it, if there's 12 districts and the survivor is the one that stays alive, 11 people die, which brings us to the concept of those who are actually playing the game. The other are observers. The other are people that are there and they're cheering for an answer to take place and they might have an emotional context to it. But can I tell you, the only ones that have skin in the game are those that are battling for their lives. Skin in the game. I think about it in our lives and I step back and go, do you have skin in the game? The game of faith? The life of faith? Do you have skin in the game? Are you actually playing? Are you shirt tailing on someone else? going, if I can just get to church, I can survive because they have faith. Can I tell you today in our culture, there's a lot of people that have fallen from the faith. They've swerved from the faith because the faith, they had no skin in the game. There are people in, our, in, in the room even and people that are part of Relevant Life Church, when you think of that we are still down 30% of attendance physically in the building, that somewhere you have to step back and go, is it because they didn't have skin in the game? They were easily picked off. They swerved when things came. Today, I want to talk about this idea of having skin in the game. The reality of the fight of our faith is this. Faith is personal. Say faith is personal. You, you are responsible for your faith. You are responsible. Say, I'm responsible for my faith. Many times we try to put the responsibility on someone else, but it's your responsibility. It's you that accepts Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's you that gets into the Word of God. It's you that prays. It's you that comes to the place of going, I need a miracle, and I need to believe for that miracle. That's good preaching, Pastor Kevin. Amen. Faith is also corporate. 
How you walk out or don't walk out your faith impacts somebody else. Do you realize that? It's why I come and I make the appeal, even in a, probably going against culture, to get your rear in, in, in the building because we need you. We want you here. We need you here. You need us. And even though it's attractive to be online and it's easy, can I tell you, we need to come back to the concept that we need one another. Faith is corporate. Faith is also meant to accomplish something. Can I tell you, it was not just for believing. It was actually that it would produce something in your life. It's actually that you would be able to touch God and God would do something through you as a result of that faith. And faith is also used as a safeguard. Everyone say a safeguard. We talked about it last week, this preservation that faith does in our lives. And I want to particularly look at this idea of being a safeguard for the city, the city of Salem. When we think about this concept of the safeguard of the city, all throughout Scripture, it talks about what a righteous person can do in the city. A righteous person. Today, when we think about this idea of righteousness, we think of that I'm doing everything right. Someone who's moral, someone that we should be striving for. But, you know, this is, a lot of times this concept is an Old Testament concept. And they came from a concept of righteousness that is so different than what yours and my perception of righteousness is today. Can I tell you, yes, we are called to live a moral life. We're we're called to live above reproach. But the reason that you and I are made righteous and are able to sit in this room today is not by our morality and our self-righteousness, but because of the righteous blood of Jesus. So today, when we talk about righteousness, when we talk about the righteousness and the impact on a city, can I tell you that we have it easy compared to them. We have it easy. God's already given us that aspect of righteousness. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, when the righteous prosper, When the righteous do good, when they succeed, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but the mouth of the wicked is destroyed. And I come and I ask today, what part are you, what part of skin do you have in the game? Are you coming and bringing righteousness to the city? Are you portraying righteousness? Is the city prospering as a result of your prosperity? Or is it coming to a place of destruction because of your lack of faith? And what I want us to challenge ourselves this morning is for us to realize that we, uh, as we heard last week about the preservation of faith, your presence in the city of Salem is actually a preservative. Let's look at the condition of our city. If we were to go through and list all of the negative things, we're going, wow, look how bad it is. I want to say if you were removed from the city, look how bad it would be. Today, God's calling us to a place of preservation. Our faith, our righteousness, who you and I are in the city matters. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. From the blessing of the upright, from the one who is righteous before God, a city is exalted. A city is lifted up. Throughout the history, the line of safety of the city was delegated to the individuals who would stand guard as watchmen. Everyone say watchmen. Watchmen over the city, watchmen on the wall. They would be the first line of defense, sensing or seeing danger, and they would sound the alarm for the army to be alerted and roused. During the Old Testament period of time, there were three military watches. There was early evening from sundown till about till about uh, two o'clock, or excuse me, until midnight, and then it was from midnight to four, and then it was four till daylight. 
And I come in and go, there was delegation of, of watchmen that were on the wall that oversaw. And can I tell you that even today in Israel, there is a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And on that wall are guards that stand in defense of their, of, of their city. They're standing there. They're the, this, this force that's taking place that's guarding the local residents. This idea of watch is to guard, to watch over, to keep to preserve and to warn of danger. Today, when I think about our lives, so when I think about our position as righteous in the city of God, are you fulfilling the role of being a watchman? Are you aware of the danger that has invaded our city? Are you aware of the wickedness that has invaded our city? Are you sounding the alarm? Are you standing in the gap? Are you being part of one who is bringing preservation to how we live in the city. And I come and go, is there, do you have skin in the game? Can I tell you that we have been, as we watched the last three years, there's a lot of people that are up in arms about the United States of America. A lot of people that are critiquing those that are in roles of high government. There's a lot of people that were critiquing the state of Oregon and probably my voice was there at one time or another over the last several years. But I have to come back and ask, am I going to step back and criticize or am I going to step up and put skin in the game? Am I going to be part of the answer, not part of the problem? And I think what's happened in our Christianity is we step back and go, well, it's my right and it's my right and I'm vocal about it. But rather than just being vocal about it, what are you doing with your faith? Do you have skin in the game? Psalms 127.1 we can see that it's important for us to be watchmen, but the ultimate watchman is God himself. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards watch in vain. When we come back to this concept of righteousness, God called us to stand and we have an activity that we need to participate in. But as we are faithful, as faithful watchmen of righteousness for God, unless God does his part, what we do is in vain. What it does is it forces us back to a reliance on God. It doesn't remove our responsibility. And can I tell you what's happened in our lives and sometimes in my life as I come back and go, I can't do anything. I might as well just give up. God, you do it. Anybody ever have that attitude in any situation of life? When we come back to this concept of faith, it's not just a belief system. It's an active role in our lives. It's got to come back and go, faith, uh, James said, it. he goes, I'll show you, uh, show me by faith with, with what you believe. And he says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. Can I tell you this idea of faith is not just what you believe, it's about how you live your life, how you walk it out day in and day out. I want to look at a story in the book of Nehemiah that'll pertain to what we're talking about today. Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book in the Hebrew Bible. They are part of the same story. In fact, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all come out of the same general period of his, Israel's history. They appear in our Bible in reverse order. They appear as Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and it's actually Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra when we think of chronologically. So just so you're understanding the story, how many know it's important to understand the context of what that's taking place? Uh, 
God raised Esther as a young Jewish maiden to the throne in Persia, as we see in the book of Esther. It was her husband, the king of Persia, that actually gave the command for Nehemiah to go rebuild the wall. Many theologians believe that this very phrase in the beginning of Nehemiah and the king with the queen sitting next beside him actually is referring to that that was Queen Esther sitting next, by, next to him. What a concept. What a novel idea that here Esther, this woman who made, made the, the, the way for the people of the, the Jewish people to come back with recognition was there when Nehemiah was coming back to go, no, we're going to reestablish the city for the people. And the story goes on that Ezra was the one that re redeemed the temple for the presence of God. The book of Nehemiah falls into two divisions. The first six, six chapters cover the reconstruction of the wall. And the second, uh, the re remainder of that through chapter 13, uh, deal with the reinstruction of the people. And we're going to focus on the reconstruction, not the reinstruction part. The wall symbolizes strength and protection. In the ancient cities, the only real means of defense were the walls. It didn't matter how big of an army you had. If you did not have walls around you, you were uh, easy pickings for whoever was going to come in. The rebuilding of the walls would be a picture of reestablishing this strength and this protection of a city that God actually had removed his blessing from and said, have at it, tear down. This moment of rebuilding was not just a rebuilding of a wall, but a rebuilding of a people, rebuilding of a faith, rebuilding of a purpose for history's sake. As we look at this story, we're going to see that it took 52 days for Nehemiah for this miles of wall to fill the gaps and to build the wall. If you step back and recognize it was a miracle that it, took 50, that it only took 52 days. But we want to see this story. Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to come right in the very midway point. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verse 1, it says, When Samballot heard that, that, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And, the, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What, are the, what, what they are building, uh, even a fox climbing on it would break it down, uh, down their wall of, of stones. Nehemiah responds with a prayer. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height. For the people, uh, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that, that the repairs of Jerus to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem, and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed. Everyone say, we prayed. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. We're tired. We're exhausted. We can't keep doing this. And there's so much rubble that we can't even rebuild the wall. There was discouragement and defeat and disappointment. Verse 11 says, And also our enemies, before they know it or see us, uh, before, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and can kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came, uh, came and told us ten times over, 
They were the naysayers of the whole event. Wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. Verse 13, Nehemiah says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When, your, when our enemies heard that we were, we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officer posted themselves behind the people of Judah. We were building the wall. Those who carried materials, uh, excuse me, who were building the wall, those who carried materials did the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and it's spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us because God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the, right, from, from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. All that, I, all that time I said, also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night. So they can serve as guards by night and work by, as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Heavenly Father, today I thank you for this story. I thank you for the redemption of your people, but I also thank you for the redemption of a city and the purpose of a city. And God, although this is a particular city, the city of Jerusalem, I believe that this is prophetic about every city. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts Open our ears that we might be able to hear and be able to, to, to actually walk out these steps of faith. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Battling for the city. As we battle for the city, number one, it requires that we pray. It requires that we pray. This concept of prayer, Pew Research put out this, this, this report on prayer, Americans, prayer stats amongst Christians. This was done in, at the beginning of 2022, so this is recent right now. Uh, it stated that weekly 60% of women who are Christians pray. Stated that 40% of men who are Christians pray. This is a, a weekly process. Their prayer topics of prayer, highest to lowest, their first topic was self. Their second topic was finances and provision. Third topic was jobs, family, kids, and spouse, and directions of dreams. So I think about it and I step back and go, so where are you at in this percentage of prayer? Are you someone who is praying? Are you someone who is doing it 40%, 60%? Is it something that you do daily? What is your topic of prayer? As it goes on, it says that 28% actually pray for their friends. 19% of these 60 and 40 actually pray for others. 7% pray for the church. 3% pray for the city or the nation that they're dwelling in. 2% pray for the world. I don't know about you, but these percentages alarm me a little bit. Because I come back and I understand the power of prayer. And even though I understand the power of prayer, what percentage am I participating in this? 
I think today when we come and we think of this idea of prayer, it's not just, uh, God, thank you for my food. God, watch over me. God, provide for my needs. The concept of prayer that we're talking about in Scripture is a petitioning and a supplication for the needs that are around us. That we really, if we're going to be the righteous that preserve a city, if we're going to be the righteous that preserve a church, if we're going to be the righteous that preserve a home, it's not going to just be done by our humanity and our right works. It's going to be by our submission and yieldness and praying unto God. Once Nehemiah learned how vulnerable this Jerusalem was, the Bible says that his first course of action was to pray. It says he prayed and he fasted for four months. When we look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, it says, When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. When he heard the report about the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah didn't first go to a place of anger, I'm going to solve this problem. He went to a place of weeping. He went to a place of mourning over this amazing city, this amazing place that he had never participated in. It wasn't even, he, they, they had been in, in, uh, uh, held captive for over a hundred and some years. Nehemiah was not even familiar with Jerusalem except for the stories that he heard. It says he sat down and he wept and he mourned for days and he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Can I tell you what I see in this is I don't see uh, Nehemiah wringing his hands going, oh, but God, if I just had time, God, but you know, you know the need. And no, he's getting on his knees and he's saying, God, I, we need a miracle. There was an aggressiveness of his faith and we can see this process that was a four month process. Nehemiah didn't pray and give up. He didn't pray once. He didn't fast once. He continued on in prayer. And I come to you and I go, in our prayers of our lives, is it a once, once and done and it's off our mind and off our chest and on life as we go? Or is there a place of where we're battling in our prayers? What I realize about this is that you'll never build the walls of the city until you have first become greatly concerned about its ruins. We can step back and we can judge Salem. We can criticize. But can I tell you, Salem is an amazing city. Salem is an amazing location. We're in the mid-valley. We're in the very center of the population of the state. Can I tell you what God has placed us here to do? Can you, can you imagine the potential of what God wants to do through us in the city of Salem? The hub of government. Can I tell you, we're not, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about righteousness. Can I tell you how righteousness can impact politics? Can I tell you how righteousness can impact a city? How righteousness can impact homelessness? What could Salem be under God? And I ask you, is there skin in the game? Nehemiah chapter 1, this is his prayer. He says, Lord, the God of, chapter, verse 5, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of, of love to those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins that we Israelites have committed. Can I tell you today, here this process of Nehemiah's confessing the sins of a hundred generations or generate three or four generations prior to him? Can I tell you that many of us struggle today, go, I didn't do anything. No, but if you were here, you would have done something. 
Why? Because humanity is sinful. Because humanity is deceitful. Because humanity is broken. So when we're called to a place of repentance, it's not a place of defensiveness. It's not a place to step back and go, but it's not me. No, it is you. If you would have been present, you would have crucified Jesus. I confess my sins. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, your decrees, and your laws. Verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. I love this because he comes back and he reminds God of his promises. He says, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter you. But he says, but if you will return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people who are on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from where they've been. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to your prayer. It goes on and says, give your servant success. Today, can I tell you that we've got to get down to business. We've got to get down to prayer. We've got to come back and go, no, if we're going to battle for the city, we've got to pray for the city. Whether you agree politically or not, you've got to agree for the city. You've got to come and you've got to pray. Nehemiah came and he stood in the gap for the nation of Israel. He intercedes on their behalf. He humbles himself and he repents on their behalf. He will benefit from the answered prayer, but it isn't for self-centered prayer. It isn't for going, God bless it for me. His prayer is for the people of God. His prayer is for the city of God. The reality is that he realized that there was things that he could do and there was things that he could not do. All throughout the story, we see God, Nehemiah and his attitude of prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 2, he came and he assessed the situation. He saw the desolation, and he came before God, and he said, God, I need you to do something. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9, where we already read, he says, we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20, he finally came back with a statement of faith, and he said, but our God will fight for us. Yet this was not an invitation for the Jews to take a back seat. It wasn't for them to go, God's going to do it. And I ask you today, how often do you and I step back and go, well, God, I prayed once, now God's just going to do it. You're part of an army. God's calling you to attention. God's calling you to activity. He's calling you to a stance of faith. And he's saying, if you want to battle for the city, if you want to battle in faith, you've got to pray. And it has to be a prayer that is continuous. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, the weapons that you and I fight with are not the weapons of this world. Counting to 10 to whether I should say it or not. I believe that a lot of us have slipped into battling with our mouths rather than with our prayers. Battling with our opinions. The opinions of man rather than the opinions of God. And today I appeal to you as believers. I'm appealing to myself I appeal to you, let's stop fighting futile battles with words. Let's start fighting battles that are important with the power of God. Let's demolish the strongholds that God has given us the power and authority to do. James chapter 5 says this, and the prayer offered in faith. Everyone say prayer offered in faith. This aggressive faith. Yes, it's talking about healing, but can I tell you, the aggressive prayer offered in faith, it goes on, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. So it comes back to going, God, I'm going to live my life set apart. But Jesus, you've made me righteous, so therefore my prayer is a righteous prayer. Not only does it require us to pray, but it requires us to stand. Everyone say, I'm going to stand. 
I love the song, there, well, arms, wide, uh, arms high, arms lifted high, whatever it is. I'm going to stand. There's a declaration of standing, a stance, a physical response. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 13 says this, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at exposed places, posting them by, their, by, by families they're with their swords, their spears, and the bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up. I stood up. There was a physical action. I stood up and I declared to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This concept of to stand is to arise, to get up. There was a physical action of getting up from where he was. He stood up in a place of authority, stood up in a place of recognition, a place of declaration. Not only was it a physical standing, it was a spiritual stance. Can I tell you that oftentimes what happens in our lives as Christians is we can get on our knees and pray, but we never stand up and do something about it. We pray, but we don't walk out our faith the way that God's called us to walk out our faith. We're expecting something to take place in the supernatural rather than being part of an answer. I think of phrases like, I'm not going to take this sitting down, meaning I'm not, going to, I'm not just going to lie here. It's to refuse or to accept something unpleasant. It's to, it's to refuse to accept something unpleasant, unfortunate, or unju- unjust without resistance. To make a stand is another phrase. To take a position for defense or opposition. Nehemiah physically stood. He took a stand, and then he also took a stand spiritually. He was not going to allow the enemy to defeat. As I think about this confidence that Nehemiah had, we don't know. We know that he prayed for four months. Can I tell you that praying for four months breeds something inside of us as we're in, in presence with God? God does something inside of you. Today, when we think of the story, when I think of the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah came to the walls of Jerusalem with a confidence, not a self-confidence, not of I'm the most amazing leader and look what I can accomplish. He came with a confidence in God because he had gone to a king that was against him and actually became for him. And that king in the process gave him blessing after blessing after blessing for him to achieve and to make it happen. Nehemiah came with a confidence knowing God had already answered prayer. God's going to continue to answer prayer. This idea of confidence is not, be, uh, is, is not being fearful, not being dissuaded. The idea of fear is not to quiver, to quake, or to shrink back. When we think about this war that we're in, when we think about addressing the city in righteousness, when we step, about, step in and we think about this idea of having skin in the game, what does that create in you? Does it create a quivering inside of you? Does it create a shrinking back like many of us have done? Or is there a confidence that God has called us to something? Can I tell you today, I want to declare that God has called us to something. God has placed us in the city of Salem for a reason and for a purpose. Back in 1950, over on Fairview Avenue, a pastor came into the town and said, we're going to build a church and it's going to be called Southside Assembly of God. Can I tell you, it's been around for a long time and God has just continued to expand us. 
God didn't place us in, in Salem by accident. It was not a happenstance. Do you hear me, church? And I step back and go, have we just been passive? Can I tell you there's been seasons of aggressiveness? There's been seasons of standing? And there's been seasons of low points. And I sense in my spirit that God is going, it's time to rebuild the wall. It's time to rebuild the wall. It's not something, Kevin, you can do on your own. You need to assign the families and the people in their neighborhoods to start rebuilding the wall. To pray and to stand. Nehemiah had a courage. And that word courage is mental and moral strength to persevere even in the midst of difficulty. I don't like fearful things. Fortunately, I'm not like I was when I was a kid when I was afraid of the dark. How many can be honest in this room to say that there are some things in your life that you still have fear of? Be honest. There's things that we fear. Can I tell you, when, G when Nehemiah came, it wasn't that he was not afraid. It's that he was confident and had courage in the midst of fear. It's why all throughout the Old Testament, we can see where it comes and says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Why? Because fear was present. Fear is present. It's part of our lives. And we can either react in timidity or we can react in courage. We can either shrink back or we can step forward. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God uh, so that when the day of evil comes, you what will be able to stand. Stand your ground. If ever before in history, the day of evil is here. I'm not saying stand up and fight the people. I'm saying stand up and fight the enemy of our souls. Stand your ground. Church, we are here for a purpose and for a reason. There was a generation of men and women that have boosted us on their shoulders to 2022. What are you going to do for your generation? Are you going to stand or are you going to shrink? Number three, battling for the city requires us, lastly, that we would build and we would fight. And we would fight, and we would build, and we would build, and we would fight, and we would fight, and we build. Nehemiah 4 says, when our enemies heard that they were aware of their plot, it and it had the God had frustrated us as we all returned to the wall, each of their own work. And Nehemiah goes on, and he says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. This process of the sacred and the secular. This rowboat of culture today. That we can't just pray about it because we're going to go in circles this way. And we can't just meet the needs because we're going to go in circles this way. We've got to come and we've got to engage in a battle with both of the practical elements involved. This sacredness of prayer and this secularness of building and fighting. Today we are in a war. And the concept that Nehemiah knew is that no walls meant no city. No walls didn't just mean no, mean no city. No walls meant no temple. Today, when we think about this concept of Jerusalem, the walls are there for a protection of the people, a gathering of the people. 
Today, not in our culture because the temple is no longer there, but it was this purpose for a place of set apart that God could do something supernatural through his people. Today, we all have something to do. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your occupation is. I don't, it, it doesn't matter what you think you are. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God first. If you're a child of God, you're a warrior first. There's a person of faith down deep inside of you that God is speaking to you to go, it's time to stand up. It's time to pray. It's time to stand. It's time to build and it's time to fight. What I've realized is that no matter how hard the enemy attacks you, you must continue to do the things which threatened him. I'm going to make it personal. Because Ron and I battled for life or death circumstances last year. It was not placed on us by God. It was the enemy of our souls that wanted to defeat and destroy. And if I were to be completely honest with you, there were moments that we wanted to just surrender to him. There were moments we just wanted to give up and going, it's, 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 it's done. We don't know what we're going to do. But can I tell you that something had to rise up with inside of us as corporate, as well as individuals to say, we are going to fight. The enemy is not going to rob us of our purpose. As you stood this morning, as it happened today, I don't know if you were wise enough to discern it or not, but the woman that stood up here to pray, the woman who stood up here for Convoy of Hope is a woman of anointing and power. She didn't just move a congregation, she moved heaven. And I have to go back to the foundations of the earth that God called Kevin to do something. And for there's a reason that he put me as a pastor of a church to do what we're doing, and it's beyond my ability. And I could either shrink back and I could quit, or I could stand up and go, no, I'm fighting Satan. You will not win. But what I've had to learn is I've had to learn to fight and build at the same time. This last week, we had a scare with the cancer journey. And that happened, and let me tell you, it sent me reeling. My mind was on so many things of all that it could happen, and the fear, and the what ifs. But in the middle of all that, I had to continue to build, and I had to continue to lead, and I had to continue to prepare for a sermon, and I had to continue to look for 2023. Can I tell you, I've had to learn that I have to keep on fighting. And in the middle of the battle, I have to keep on building. And what I've realized is that the enemy is the ultimate bully. And let me tell you, he's going to continue to throw stuff, and we need to recognize his voice and recognize God's voice. For some of us, we just think that he's going to just lay down. Many of us, we get so tired that we just give up. And we just need to get used to going, right? The annoying, annoying mosquito to go, no. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes, he says, we faithfully preach the truth, the truth of God. God's power is working in us. It's working in me. It's working in you. And we use these weapons of, what is it? These weapons of, not the weapons of our words, even though that's biblical, not the weapons that we stand with. We're not fighting a person. We're not fighting a government. The weapons of our righteousness, our right standing before God, our set-apartness. We use the weapons of our rightness, righteousness in the right hand as attack with the left hand for defense. There's a war that we're fighting. Nehemiah engaged in a war. Nehemiah stepped in with confidence. And we see in chapter 6 that the wall was finished in 52 days. There was a miracle. Nehemiah accomplished this because he was personally invested. He had skin in the game. He had spent his time on his knees. And he led a people that were behind him and not behind him. He led a people that were fearful and a people that were confident. He had a voice. It wasn't just his voice. It was a clarion voice. That they sensed that God was going to do something. When I think of the city as I close here, this idea of skin in the game. Let's jump to the life of Jesus. I want to end with these few verses. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Can I tell you, even before he crucified, was crucified on the cross with the ultimate skin in the game, Jesus had the skin in the game. Jesus was going to the cities. He was going and he was preaching. He was healing. It says he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He was seeing the people and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. In transparency this morning, there's times that I drive across this city and I'm not moved with compassion. I'm moved with anger. I was convicted this morning because I come out to piles of garbage outside our building. An entire black bag full of garbage that I picked up and a shopping cart. At that moment, there was no compassion for those that left it. At that moment, I was angry, but I got halfway through and I was still frustrated inside. I said, God, you know who did this. God, give me compassion for them. I'm telling you right here and now, I don't have the answers. I'm not Jesus. I still struggle with my flesh, my humanity. There's times I'm not compassionate. Does that fit anybody else in the room? As I come today and we hear these words, Jesus came and he said, I'm distressed and I'm dispirited. They're distressed and dispirited. Sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples and he turns to you today. He says, those people, those people that you have compassion on, those people that you don't have compassion on, those people that are in distress, they are the harvest. They are the harvest. He says, the harvest is plentiful. As I look around Salem, the harvest is stinking plentiful. But I want to tell you, the workers are few. We have a room full of workers here today. We have people online that are workers today. And I say, are you going to... Put skin in the game. Are you going to put skin in the game? Would you stand to your feet this morning? Stand to your feet. Would you lift your hands to heaven? God, today in the name of Jesus, I thank you for a people that can hear the voice of the Spirit. God, I thank you that they can see through my passion and not hear it as anger. 
God, today I pray that you would move us. Yes, pray it to yourself. Say, God, move me. Move me. God, make my faith a personal faith, an active faith. And God, as we come together as a me, you make us a we. And God, that personal faith is even that much stronger in a we corporate faith. So God, today, we pray. God, help us to be people of prayer and intercession over our city, over the people that are broken. God, rather than responding in anger, God, have mercy. God, forgive me, first and foremost, for responding in anger. God, help me to be moved with compassion. God, I pray that you'd give us a spirit that's able to meet needs and to know how to best meet the needs. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, we pray over the city. God, have mercy on us. God, forgive us of our wickedness. God, would you turn the hearts of people back to you? God, as we step in to rebuild this city, help us to be people of prayer. God, help us to be people who stand for righteousness, that we're not going to be swayed, that we're going to be biblically worldview people. God, that we, would not be, that we would not succumb to the people of this planet, that we would not succumb to, this, to the uh, sparring of words. God, we would not get caught up in the agenda of man. May we ever be pulled back to the agenda of God, that you are not willing that any would perish. God, help us to stand in righteousness. God, for righteousness is what turns the tide. God, today I pray that you'd give us boldness and courage and confidence to step forward, to build and to fight and to fight and to build, to realize the war is ever raging and the enemy is not going to become quiet. He's not going to lay down and God, we're not going to lay down. God, we're going to fight forward. Say, I'm going to fight forward. God, we recognize today that we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. And Satan today, in the name of Jesus, in a corporate setting, in the name of Jesus, we declare battle on you. We will not lay down. We will not bow down. In the name of Jesus Christ, we declare Salem as a city of peace. We declare that it would be a righteous city for your kingdom. God, in the name of Jesus, this hub, this midway point, this political point, this political city, God, that is here, this hub of government, God, that you would invade with your power, with your spirit. God, we need revival. We need you to move. God, we need answers. There's answers beyond that are far beyond human understanding that we desperately need. And God, today we thank you. And God, I go to the words of Jesus. God, move us with compassion. God, we pray for the harvesters. Pray for the harvesters. God, help me. Say it today. God, help me be a harvester. God, I'm willing to go. Help me to be a harvester. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be part of the answer, not part of the problem. And God, we thank you for it today. Come on, lift your voice and say, thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for a new, new breath, a new fire, a new passion in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You're, you need prayer this morning. Our prayer team is coming right at this moment to pray with you. Otherwise, you're dismissed today. See you next Sunday. Will Caesar's going to be here, and he is going to rock your world. God bless you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. 
Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.